Well, all right, all right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to church. I want to say welcome to everybody here. If it's your first time, welcome to Northwood Church. If it's your first time watching online, welcome to Northwood Church. We're excited that you're here, that you're joining us today. We are continuing our series, How to Live Again Today. And uh, it's going to be a good, good day. It's going to be a good message. I'm excited to be able to bring it to you. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Jordan Decody. I am the senior pastor here at Northwood Church. We are one church with four locations. And so obviously you're here in Gulfport today. You're watching Gulfport today. But we also have a location in Long Beach, Ocean Springs, and in Wiggins. And again, we were just all worshiping together with our Long Beach and, um, and, and Wiggins locations. And so, um, so we're excited about what God is doing in our church, in our community, and in our nation, and in our world, despite all the things that we see. You know, one thing that we know as Christians, and, and that we know from reading the Word, is that God works in a lot of uh, horrible situations. He has a way of redeeming things for His purpose and His plan, and that's actually what we are going to get into today, and I believe that a lot of you are going to get some help uh, today in your walk with God. But before we do, I want to talk about one thing real quick. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, we've all watched and seen what has been going on in Afghanistan. And uh, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see uh, the fall of that nation again, going back into the hands of the Taliban. And, um, and all that that means for the people who live there. And it also means something for the church in Afghanistan. The church in Afghanistan, the people are being displaced. Um, many are being killed. We get a lot of different reports that, uh, that there's Taliban men that are going door to door and are finding people who are Christians. Um, uh, maybe they, they know through the grapevine, they've found out information and they're, they're literally killing people. And uh, I believe that it's only just begun. If you're paying attention, then you know all that that's going on. But uh, the, the, in the past week or so, it, it's sort of been this conversation of like, what do we do? Do you guys ever feel kind of like your hands are tied? You know, we can pray, and, and I believe that we should be praying for the church in Afghanistan, but at the same time, what, do, what can we do? What can, what can we put our hands to? Well, we've got some friends who are um, uh, in this organization called World Compassion, and they have, uh, they've got some contacts in Afghanistan that they're working with, that they've been working with, uh, with some pastors in that area who are pastors of some of these home churches all throughout that country. And, uh, and in this time, they've obviously kept in touch. And of course, we see what's going on with, in Kabul with the airport, and that, that's, that's where a lot of the media attention is focused. But there's a lot of people who are living in a lot smaller areas, more remote areas that we're not really seeing much of, but they're there. And there's many people who, many Christians who have fled into, I'm talking maybe the mountains, they've just, they've fled into different areas. Uh, some have lost their jobs, they can no longer go to their job. And so all of a sudden, their whole entire life has been put on pause. And so... Um, so what's going on through World Compassion is they've got a three-phase plan that we're going to partner with them uh, to accomplish. Number one is just to help people get food and direct aid right now because they have ways of actually getting uh, money and supplies to these people. Um, but also the next phase is to, to, to move these people into safer areas. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I'm with you. I don't really know what that means, but that is the plan, to get them to safer areas, safer cities where um, they're not as in much danger. But then also, ultimately, the plan is to get them out completely, out of all danger. And, um, 
It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of money in order to do this. We know what the government's doing, but there are other people that are also doing some things to help these people in this time, um, especially those we all know that have helped the U.S. government over the last few years. They're in danger. But also, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and, and some of the reports that we're getting, some of the news, the stories that I'm sure you're reading, where uh, Christians are literally, they're prepared to die. They are ready to die for the cause of Christ, where they know that at some point there's gonna be a gun held to their head and they say, we're not gonna deny Jesus. And so if we can help to get them out of those areas, we wanna do so. And so this is what we're doing as a church. We're gonna be giving out of our missions budget right now, we're gonna be donating $10,000 directly to World Compassion to go to this. That's the first thing, yeah. But the second thing is this, is that today I wanna ask you to pray, and many of you probably saw social media this week where we, we talked about this, to pray and ask God what it is that, that you are to give sacrificially above and beyond what you normally give to this. Every dollar that we get in that is designated to the church in Afghanistan, to Afghanistan, we are gonna send directly in addition to the 10,000 that we're already gonna be giving. Our goal, honestly, is $20,000. I was talking to my friend who, who's, uh, who works here at World Compassion last night and talking to him about this. And he's like, man, that's so awesome. And I said, man, you know, we can't go, but we can give. You know, give. And this matters. I told him this. I said, literally, I believe that our money that we send is going to save people's lives. It's going to save physical lives, but it's also going to save spiritual eternities. Because these people, they are, uh, they are bold. They're bold for the kingdom of God. And, uh, man, these people... We want them to be alive, to continue to, to, to bring the gospel to their people. And so that's what we're doing as a church. And so I wanna ask you kind of over the next, you know, really take today even. You don't have to, you know, do anything right now, but, but take today and pray and say, God, what is it that you would have me to give above and beyond what I normally give? This is a sacrificial gift, a sacrificial offer. The way that you can do that is go to northwood.church slash Afghanistan. And we've got all of this information there that you can actually give directly to this. Also today, if you wanna give cash or write a check and drop it in the, um, the receptacles and the lobbies on the way out, we have envelopes and we would love for you to take those envelopes, put it in the envelope and, and uh, 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 write down there, Afghanistan. And that way we know what to put it to. And every single dollar that we take in that is designated to Afghanistan, we are sending to World Compassion, people that we trust that are gonna be able to, uh, to, to put the money where it needs to go. Amen? Come on, let's pray real quick for the church. Father, we, we pray right now for the church in Afghanistan. We pray for just the whole, the whole nation, God. It's a mess, Father. It's a mess, God. And, and Lord, right now there are people who are suffering physically, emotionally. And God, we're praying that right now, by your grace, by your power, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would give them wisdom. Father, that you would even uh, uh, disguise and shelter the Christians right now who are trying to dodge the Taliban and dodge people who are informants for the Taliban. God, that you would like, like cause them to just, just not be seen by those people who seek to harm them, but God, protect them. God, would you send your angels into this place? Father, we know that this is a spiritual battle as much as it is a physical one. And so God, we know that our, our weapons are not of this, of this world. And so Father, right now we pray we pray that you would touch and heal and restore so many people's lives. And God, through this, God, in, in a way that only you can do, God, we pray that you would make yourself a name, that you would make your name great. Father, that you would uh, reveal your hearts and, your, and yourself to so many people during this time. 
We thank you and we love you. God, we pray that you would take the money that we give, that you would put it in the right hands for the right people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Also, there is an opportunity uh, to support individual families. They've identified just through their contacts 150 families right now who, uh, and of course that will grow, who need monthly support. Uh, and you, there's different options and you can go to the website there and then go to World Compassion and look at that. But, uh, but this, is, this is where we're gonna start doing. Come on guys, we're blessed to be a blessing. I believe that. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so, uh, so let's be a part of that. So, all right, we're continuing our series, How to Live Again. Last week was How to Believe Again. This week, we're talking about how to dream again. Because whenever we talk about how to live, we believe that there's really three main compon components that sort of come together in, in how we live. And it's how we, it's how we believe, right? Who I trust, who I believe. Number two, it's how I dream. It's, it's how I hope, right? And then number three is how I love, how I love, how to, how, to, how to love again, how to dream again, dream again, and how to believe again. These are these three weeks. And today it's how to dream again. But what do we mean whenever we say dream? Because, um, you know, it, we could either be talking about like the dream that you had last night that was really weird. And it's probably because you ate something really weird. I don't know. You know, we could be talking about that. We could be talking about this high and lofty goal that you have way out there, this dream that nobody can touch. Uh, you know, we, we could be using this word in different ways. And so today, whenever we talk about the word dream, I'm really talking about having a hope for the future, a hopeful, positive expectancy for what's to come. Have you ever heard somebody say, don't get your hopes up? Maybe you've been told that, don't get your hopes up. You know, anybody that's ever said, don't get your hopes up, usually has had some sort of negative experience and that's why they're saying that. <laughs> you know, don't get your hopes up because it's just harder to fall. It's farther to fall, you know what I'm saying? So don't get your hopes up at all. But the reality is, is that we all need hope. We all need a dream. We all need something in front of us that we can look forward to. And listen, today is not really a big self-helpy message, okay? You're gonna see how all this ties together. But, but whenever we talk about dreams, it's not always just this high and lofty thing that we need to not dream. Guys, listen, hope is, is something that we must have, right? I mean, we, we must have something that, or someone or, or some sort of thing that's out in front of us that we are striving for, that we're looking forward to, not just, just today, not just this moment, Although some people live in yesterday too much, right? And they never live in the moment. But, but there is something about living for something in the future. But lost hope or broken dreams cause us to not look forward to the future, but even worse than that, actually cause us to think about the future in fear. Causes us to live in fear about what may happen because of what's happened in the past. And the, the idea is this, is that you can't dream about tomorrow when you're living in the fear of yesterday. Some of you right now, you're already, you're already noticing, like that's me. I don't look forward to anything. I don't have a dream about tomorrow because honestly, I'm, I'm projecting in the future what's happened in the past. And you're in this cycle, you're in this life where there's really not hope, there's really not a dream, there's something in front of you and it's because of the disappointments that you've experienced. Now, we know that disappointments are gonna happen. If you don't know, I just ruined your day, but disappointments are gonna happen. 
The things that you do hope for sometimes are not gonna work out. The things that you, you, you really are like, man, if this would take place, God, if I just had one thing, it would be this. You're gonna have those prayers and then you're gonna not see that come to pass. And what happens is disappointments take place over and over, but here's also the deal, is that some disappointments are worse than others. Some disappointments take a part of us that we, we just can't seem to get back. There's disappointments that are like level one, level two. You know what I'm saying? It, it takes a couple days and, and then you move forward. And then there's this, those disappointments that alter the course of your life, that change the way that you see your life, see the world. And it's almost like you just can't get back to that place. Like I was, I was in a good place and then this happened seven years ago and I have not got back to that place where I, I truly feel fulfilled, where I, I, truly, I truly feel like, like I, I have a handle on life and it just seems like I'm just trailing behind and I can't quite catch up. Disappointments do that to us. And the Bible talks about this in Proverbs where it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what happened to you when that disappointment took place is that the hope that you had in that person or in that thing, it was deferred and now your heart is sick or maybe your heart was sick depending where you're on, where you're at in this process. But it says that a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So man, whenever the desires of our heart are fulfilled, we're filled with life. But whenever that hope for that desire is not fulfilled, whenever that hope isn't fulfilled, we experience disappointment. And ultimately we experienced hopelessness. Hopelessness is a pandemic in our world. Hopelessness, hopelessness is tied to depression. Many people, they're, they're experiencing depression and different things. And, and, and sometimes, and, and don't get me wrong with this, there, there are medical conditions and there are things that are happening, but, but sometimes it's tied to something that took place. Maybe it's tied to a series of things that took place. And now there's a hopelessness in your life and hopelessness is all over the place. Even in America where honestly, most of us have not just what we want but we have, or need, we have things that we want. I mean, like we are fulfilled in so many ways. We got young people that, that you know, fa fall apart if they don't get accepted to a certain college but they still get accepted to a college and they're able to further their education. All over the world, people don't have that type of options, right? Why? Because our expectations are set at such a, such a degree that anything short of that expectation is our world falls apart and we're, we're hopeless. Maybe we need some help with our thresholds today, but we're not really going there. Different things cause hopelessness, unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers, it creates a hopeless uh, a feeling, a health issues that we have, relational problems that we experience, finances, all of these things add together and cause us to have difficulty dreaming. I, I think one of the things that's really going on in Afghanistan, one of the most heartbreaking things is that there's, dreams have been shattered. This last generation has grown up with hope. They have, and in the last couple of weeks, that hope has fallen apart. Those dreams have been destroyed. And they're seeing the same thing happen all over again. It's difficult. All of these things defer hope, and they do, they break dreams. Today, I want to lean into a story in the Bible about this. And we sort of mentioned about this guy last week, but it's the story of Joseph. 
in the book of Genesis. And Joseph, uh, his dad was Israel, used to be Jacob, and uh, he was his, his dad's favorite son. If you go read the story, which we're not going to read every verse today, but, but his dad gave him a special robe, special, you know, I mean, that, that meant a lot back then. For us, it's like, thanks, dad, you know. <laughs> it's your 18th birthday, son. Here's a robe. <laughs> All right, well, how about college tuition, you know? But uh, he got a robe, and, um, but he was his favorite, his favorite son, and Joseph had a lot of brothers, and the deal is, is that Joseph was, was younger than his brothers, and Joseph had these dreams, okay? Now, his brothers already didn't like him, but what would happen is Joseph would have these prophetic dreams, and he'd go and he'd tell his brothers about the dream. And it was like, you know, you guys are like, we're all like bales of hay or sheaves, and, and you guys bowed before me. And they're like, what do you mean by that? We're going to bow before you? You're still a jerk. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't stand you. Get out of our face. And then he'd come back, and the, the moons and the stars, and my family are, you know, around me. And, and he'd have these dreams that pointed to his family bowing before him and serving him. And I don't know about you, but that probably wouldn't have rubbed me the right way either as a brother. Uh, and he was just kind of a punk to these guys. You know, he was a little bit, like, I think that maybe he could have kept these dreams to himself until they came time, like, honestly. But that's not the story he went and told him. And so we pick up the story in uh, chapter 37, verse, 20, uh, verse 18. Joseph is coming to them from afar off. And uh, they saw him. And before he came near to them, man, they, I mean, they hated him, right? They conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. I mean, they had a problem with Joseph to say the least. But there was a brother named Reuben. And when he heard it, he rescued Joseph out of their hands. And he said, okay, guys, I'm, I'm with you about everything, but let's just not kill him. The pit is good. I can't stand him either, but I really think that we shouldn't, we shouldn't kill him. Everybody needs a Reuben in their life where people are trying to kill you and they're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Just, just, just rein it back in. Let's just stop short of that. But let's, I mean, he needs to suffer a little bit. I'm with you on that. But, but you know, reel it back in. So that's what happens. They take Joseph and they throw him into a pit as they just, they, they're trying to determine what to do. And lo and behold, there's a group of slave uh, holders that are coming through. And they end up taking Joseph out the pit and selling him into slavery. Now, if you went to Sunday school growing up, you've heard this story a thousand times, but you've got to stop and think about what just happened to this guy. He's 17 years old. He's a kid. His brothers, his family threw him in a pit. He's taken out the pit and he's sold to some guys, has no idea where he's going, has no idea what their intentions are for him. You know what Joseph experiences right here? He experiences rejection. Rejection. He's rejected by his family. And one thing about rejection is that it destroys hope. You see, Joseph has this dream and he's seeing into the future. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but I know that it's going to be real good. I know it's going to be real good. And then a few days later, He's walking in chains away from his home, rejected by his brothers and his family. This moment is such a defining moment that not only happened to Joseph, but happens to us, where you've got these, these grand schemes and plans and you've got hope, right? 
And then within a few days or weeks or months or maybe a year, it's not working out the way that you thought. And many times it has to do with people, relationships, people who reject us. Rejection is one of the, 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 the most damaging things that can happen to us as people. When somebody that we trust or love looks us in the face and says, I don't love you, I don't wanna be around you, we're done, it does something deep inside of you. It breaks something. Why? Because we weren't created to experience that. We weren't created to experience rejection from our parents at a young age. We weren't, we weren't created to, to experience rejection from our spouse who we've given our life to and we trust it. We weren't, we weren't created for that. And so that's why it damages us. And rejection, when that happens to you about whether a relationship or a dream or whatever, it causes you to, to, to not be able to look forward to the future with a lot of joy and peace and excitement. Rather, again, you're hopeless. And that's what happens to Joseph. Now, for him, he, he then goes and he is sold to a man named Potiphar. And he ends up at a guy's, name, a guy's house, his name is Potiphar, and he's in Potiphar's house. And the thing about Joseph is that Joseph had character. And so when Joseph is in this low place, Joseph actually excels. So the story is terrible. It gets a little bit worse, right? He's sold in a slave, it's a pit, slavery, and then all of a sudden it takes a turn and Joseph, his life starts looking up. He ends up being number two in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's a rich guy. And he ends up being number two in Potiphar's house. The Bible says actually in verse six that um, Joseph, um, uh, verse six, so he left, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food he ate. I mean, he, he left everything in Joseph's hands. So, so all of a sudden this situation that Joseph's in doesn't look so bad. And maybe that's your story. Things started out bad, but then over time, it, it kind of got better. Joseph grew in this tough time. And, and I think that this is a big moment in the story that we've got to look at because Joseph could have laid down. He could have quit, but he didn't. There was something in him that came alive and he stood up to the occasion and he grew. For us, the question is, for the things that we're walking through where we've been rejected or we're experiencing a difficult time, how am I growing from this? What does growth look like in my life? Over the last few years in my personal life, I've hit some walls. I've hit some walls. There's been days where, you know those days where you honestly just, you sort of just wanna quit? Whatever it is that you're experiencing difficulty in, you just wanna quit and you wanna run. Because you know what, we could take we can take a lot as people. We really can. Like, like if, if we, you know, if, if, if we just get, keep getting like tapped, like we could take that for a while, but over time, it begins to wear on you. It's kind of like the Chinese, you know, torture, Chinese water torture, you know, the, just the drop on the head. Eventually you go nuts. And in our lives, sometimes there's things that just, it keeps tapping on you for years. And eventually you're like, I just want out. Why? Because there's something deep in you that's being tested in those subtle, simple things that just keep wearing on you. But the question is, what is God doing in me? We don't like to ask that question because we want to look at the other people that are making the problem and say, God, what do you need to do in them? But 
It's about what's, what is God doing in us. John Maxwell says this, achieving a dream is about more than just what you accomplish. It's about who you become in the process. Now we read this on a screen or we read it on the TV and like that's a really cool statement. I like those statements. And when I read statements like that, I'm like, yeah, that's right. And then I hit my head up against the wall and I'm like, I don't like this at all. This process needs to stop. But it's an important question that you've got to ask. Yeah, you've got goals. Yeah, you've got dreams. Yeah, you've got these plans that you thought were going to work out, but they're not working out. So now you've got to look and say, God, but what is it that you're actually trying to do in me in this process? Joseph asks this question and he rises to the occasion. But then there's a problem. And the problem comes in the form of Potiphar's wife. You see, the verse says here in in verse six, it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He looked good. He was a good looking dude. He's young, he's good looking, he's intelligent, he's got character, he's in the house here. And Potiphar's wife one day says, hello, Joseph, how are you? How many of you got a little Potiphar's wife hanging around? You know what I'm saying? It might be Potiphar's husband. I don't know how you say that, right? But like you're doing so well in life and then all of a sudden that long lost ex, long lost ex just sends you a little Facebook message, you know? (laughs) Looking good. Hey ladies, anytime you post a photo of, you know, whatever, hanging out and a guy that's not your husband or somebody that's very significant to you that you're, you're together with, when they say looking good, just ignore it. Just ignore it. And if you're the guy that comments that, stop being such a creep, okay? <laughs> like, it's so weird, man. It's so weird. On the beach, having a drink, looking good. Like, everybody knows what you're doing. It's weird. Stop. Anyway, just throw that out there. <laughs> I'm trying to find that in my notes and it's not there. But um, <laughs> anyway, if the shoe fits, wear it. But, but Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph. And this is another big moment in the story. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused. And listen what he tells this woman. Some of y'all, y'all need to copy and paste this and use this next time somebody tries to say something. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. Basically, listen, lady, your husband trusts me with every single thing in his house, including you. He has, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? We could stop right there, just say, how can I do this great wickedness? Because, you know, it's really, like what a horrible thing to do for this guy to break this guy's trust, right? But then we get a glimpse of Joseph's actual threshold, his actual, uh, why he wants to do what's right. Do this great wickedness and sin against God. 
You see, the greater thing that Joseph was actually thinking about was what this meant for him and God, not what it meant for him and Potiphar. And that is a greater draw in life. That is a, 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 a more impactful and powerful thing to live for, which is this, how can I do this before God? It's not as important about before men, although that matters. This would be a wickedness against God. Joseph was faithful to God and the character inside of him was tested in a great degree right here and he passes the test. But you know what stinks about what happens here is that Potiphar's wife gets upset because he rejected her. She ends up lying to Potiphar saying that he tried to do something that he didn't do. Potiphar knows that she's lying, by the way, which is another horrible thing of the story, but here's the deal. Potiphar knew that he would have to sleep with this woman and, and be around her. And he's like, <laughs> like, Joseph, sorry, bud, I've got to go with my wife. And he ends up throwing him in prison. He throws Joseph in prison for something that he did not do. Potiphar knew how crazy his wife was. And he's like, I'm not dealing with this. Like, I got to go with what she's saying. Throws Joseph in prison. Completely unfair. Potiphar knew it. Joseph knows it. But now he's in prison for doing the right thing. For doing the right thing before God, for doing the right thing for Potiphar, he gets prison. It's a great, great injustice that he, he receives here. And here's another point. Rejection can destroy hope, but guess what? Injustice can destroy hope. Whenever you're on the receiving end of false accusations or injustice, it breaks something in you that in the future you're like, well, man, last time I tried to do what was right and it didn't work out. So this time, what's the point? Have you ever felt that? Like, what's the point? I, I did what was right that still got what was wrong. Next time, I'm gonna do what everybody else does to get ahead. Like, at least I'm gonna have fun doing it because it's still gonna be a bad result. And a lot of people live their life like that. Why? Because they've been on the opposite end, or they've been on the receiving end of injustice and it destroys hope. It tests you. So Joseph has this dream, super positive. He goes to the pit. He goes to Potiphar's house. Remember, he, he's still thinking about this dream, this prophetic dream. But then you end up in prison. How do you hope and how do you have dreams in prison, how do you see yourself fulfilling a dream whenever you're in prison? I, I read this story recently. I was listening to the story about this man who was in prison for like 30 years for a crime he didn't commit. I don't know. I, I feel like I probably would have given up about five years into it. I feel like that's about all the strength that I would have had before I would have just quit. No, I'm not, I'm not even going to fight anymore. Like this is just it. It was decades before he was exonerated. When that happens to you or a family member, something in that way, it just, it breaks something. It breaks a level of trust and it can break something inside of you as well. And you find yourself in a hopeless place. But you know what's amazing about Joseph is that even in prison, just like he did in Potiphar's house where he was raised up and ends up being number two in Potiphar's house, he's in prison and he eventually is raised up to number two over the prison. Now he's still a prisoner, but the prison guard who was keeping the prison saw him, recognized him, and because of his character, he's raised up inside of the prison. Like you can't keep this guy down. You know what I'm saying? He's a good dude. 
And there was this guy in prison, he's a cupbearer. In case you don't know what those were, uh, they, the kings would actually have, have guys who would drink and eat before the king would eat and drink. That way, if the food or drink was poisoned, he would die instead of the king. And you think your job's terrible. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> we're good, you're good, you can drink it. I mean, come on, man. There's this cupbearer, and he's in prison, and he has this dream, and he doesn't know what the dream means. And so he's talking to Joseph, and Joseph interprets the dream, and he gets it right. And the very thing that Joseph interpreted came true. And so this really horrible moment happens in the story. Joseph interprets the dream, helps the guy out. When the guy is about to get set free, Okay, he's the cupbearer of Pharaoh. He's about to get set free and go back to his job and be around Pharaoh. Joseph says, hey man, let me tell you something. I need, I need you to know my story and I need you to know what's happened to me so that way you can go and be my advocate, man. You've got to get me out of this place. He's like, I was put in, in a pit by my brothers for nothing. I was sold in Potiphar's house. His wife said I did this and I didn't do it. He throws me in prison. I never did it. Potiphar knows it. Go ask him. He knows it. And now I'm here, you got, you, you've got to do something to get me out of here. And, and the cupbearer's like, yeah, 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 I got you, bro. The last thing Joseph says is this. He says, don't forget me. Don't forget me. It's verse, uh, verse 40. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, which is part of the story, and, uh, as Joseph had interpreted. The next verse, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember and forgot Joseph for two years, y'all, two years. Joseph has been rejected. Joseph has received injustice. And now Joseph has been abandoned, forgotten, forsaken. He's been abandoned. Abandonment is something else that can destroy hope in your life abandonment. And many of you in this room, many of you watching online, you've experienced this. And one of the primary ways that we experience this is from our parents. One of the primary ways. Many people have either never known their mom or dad, or they weren't close, or at a certain age, their dad or their mom disappeared. And I think it's one of the, it's one of the, the, the biggest plans of the enemy is to affect your trust and destroy hope for the future through, through broken families. And this is a reality in our life. We know this, that more than half the families that, that we're around come from, from more, more than half of the, the young people come from broken families. And so this is a major problem. This is a major situation. And many people, they actually just keep going forward in life with this. They actually don't heal from it. Many of you right now, your dad hasn't been around forever and honestly, some of you are so calloused about that in your own life. It's just like, yeah, that was a long time ago. I hear that sometimes. Yeah, man, it was a long time ago. I know it was. But have you, have you like really dealt with that? Is there closure? Is there forgiveness? Is there healing from that? Not just tolerating the pain. Some of you, 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 you kind of like allowed that, that situation in your life to be scabbed over but there's infection in there. And unless there's healing, a deep work in your life, 
it, it's hard for you to hope in people. If, if, you're, a, if you're a woman and, and your dad didn't treat you right, your dad abandoned you, and you don't deal with that, you are going to project a lot of that onto your husband. You're gonna project a lot of that into a man that you're looking for. Some of you, unfortunately, will go and find the very type of man or type of woman who hurt you when you were younger. You'll go find the same exact person and perpetuate the same issue. This is a plan of the enemy. Abandonment, rejection. And we need to be healed from it. Joseph is rejected. He's received injustice and now he's abandoned in prison. It's terrible. Two years. And the story goes on. Pharaoh ends up having a dream. He has a dream about you know, this, this big cow and a skinny cow and one eats the other. And he's like, what is all this about? Nobody can interpret the dream. And just about the time that Pharaoh's looking for an interpreter, a dream interpreter, that annoying cupbearer, <laughs> let's just be honest. He's like, ah, oh man, there was this guy in prison that I completely forgot about. His name was Joseph, I think. And he, I had this same thing. I interpreted a dream and he got it right. Look, let's go get him and I'm sure he'll interpret your dream. But can you imagine that awkward conversation the first time that the cupbearer and Joseph get together? Joseph was such a nice guy. You know what I'm saying? Because the cupbearer needed to get punched. Like, that's what he needed. Dude, two years, bro? Like, there wasn't one time that, like, like, I don't know, you had a random dream and you woke up the next day. I wonder what that meant. Oh, that guy Joseph that time. Like, I mean, come on, at, at least one time in two years. No, no, two years of nothing. But all of a sudden, Joseph gets another chance. It's incredible that Joseph kept his, his character. He kept his integrity through this whole, this whole process. But Joseph is about 30 years old at this time. 13 years of disappointment. 13 years of, you know, uh, walking up the mountain and falling off the cliff. Walking up the mountain, falling off the cliff. And here he gets another shot. He brings, Pharaoh brings Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream and it ends up being about famine. And because of Joseph's plan and, and, and the way that Pharaoh kind of see, sees how Joseph is, he ends up taking Joseph and puts him as second in command in all of Egypt. It's amazing, y'all. It's really amazing. He's in Potiphar's house. He ends up second in command there. He goes to prison, ends up second in command there. Now he's in Pharaoh's palace and he ends up second in command in Egypt, over all of Egypt, a powerful, powerful nation. And he's actually running the plan for what to do in the seven years of plenty in order to prepare for the seven years of harvest. And he had a plan, a business plan in order to actually get Egypt further ahead in the famine. And this is what happens. All the people that were surrounding that area in the famine, they end up after seven years having to come to Egypt in order to try to buy food. They would trade things, trade land, whatever the case is. And so guess who shows up in front of Joseph? His brothers. Can you imagine that moment? Sweet vengeance. <laughs> His brothers, they come unto him. You know, they don't recognize him. Joseph does. And they begin to ask for help. That's what it says. Verse 8, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And listen to this. 
and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. Remember the dream, they bow before him and all of that, he gets thrown in the pit of it because of it? It's actually happening. Joseph remembers it. You know, y'all, a lot of you, you, you've got these dreams, you've got these plans. I believe some of you have dreams in your heart that you really believe that God put there. Like it wasn't just bad pizza, okay? Like, like man, it's a dream. It's, it's hope in your life. It's something that you are working towards in your life. And you have fallen off a lot of cliffs and you feel like those dreams maybe are done. And you're at a dead end. But sometimes the process between where you are and where you, where you believe God has got you to go, like, like we think it's just gonna be just up. It's all positive, right? Like we're, we're smart enough to know that we're gonna have bad moments. But whatever it is in those times, our emotions kick in and, and everything stops. Our world stops. Our hope stops. Our dreams are dashed. But I wanna encourage you today to keep going and remember the dream that God has put in your heart. Where you're hopeless in certain areas, you've got to latch on to hope again, like Joseph did. And many of you think that your dreams are dead, but God's not done. And some of you, you need to hear that today. You really, you need hope. You need hope in your marriage because it's been years since you've really loved each other, since you've really liked to be around each other. You need hope that your relationship can be restored. You need hope that your finances can turn around. You need hope that doing the right thing is actually worth it because you're doing it for God, not for men. You need hope in those things. But with the remaining time that we have left, I, I, I wanna bring to you a bigger point in this story. Because I believe that this story is very applicable for us. Uh, applicable for us. We could put Joseph, put ourselves in Joseph's place and, and see our dreams, but, but the story is really a lot bigger than that. The story is bigger than his life or our dreams. You see, we are not Joseph in this story. You're not Joseph. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing what you don't do as a, as a guy that preaches. Completely undo everything you just said. But you've got to see this bigger picture. You're not Joseph. Jesus is Joseph. Jesus is Joseph. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was abused, lied about, misused, yet remained faithful for the dream that God had given him, which was to be the hope of all mankind. Jesus was faithful where we are not. Jesus is merciful whenever we bow before him, bringing him nothing that he really needs, but yet he shows us mercy and kindness. That's who we're serving. That's what we're talking about. No, no, no. In this story, we are the brothers. We're the brothers. And many people today, they continue to reject the person who represents the only hope that they have, Jesus. These brothers had no hope. They had ran all their resources out. They were done and they went to the only place that could possibly give them what they need to survive. And you know what? Joseph didn't have to do it, y'all. Grace and mercy. 
Mercy that he didn't kill them. Grace that he actually provided for them what they needed. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus. We come to Jesus with nothing that he needs, but we come to him because he has everything that we need. And he gives us mercy. He gives us grace, empowers us with everything that we need to live a life that's worth living. And it's a life that's for his glory, not our own. This is the gospel. This is what fuels you when you fall off the cliff. This is the hope that you grab onto whenever the doctor says it's not a good prognosis. This is it. Because other than this, what do we have? Let me tell you something. The church in Afghanistan right now, these people, they have nothing. They don't have like hope in some sort of thing that they might be able to do. And, and I mean, you know, like, I'm sorry, but like they're not worried about their AC not working just right. Like that's not a trial to them, okay? Sometimes we ask, how you doing, man? It's been a rough week, bro. My AC is only working like 75% of the time. It's really tough, right? The enemy is really just knocking on my door. There's people living in mountains right now, scared for their life. We need some comparison at times to kind of shake us out of where we are, right? But what hope do they have? Their hope is anchored in Jesus. He is a living hope. And he's the hope that we hold on to. As we close today, I want to share a scripture with you out of 1 Peter. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, which we just talked about. He has caused us to be born again, have a new life to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we are raised to that, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This verse encapsulates everything that we hope in. The mercy that we need, the grace that we need to endure, but the fact that in eternity, there is a hope that we have anchored in eternity that pulls us from here into that place. There's a, there's a picture about what hope really means and, and Jesus being the anchor of our hope. And it's this picture of a rock in, the, in, in, in some rough seas. And it's a rock and there's cliffs. And in order to get to that rock, you've got to go through all of these cliffs and it's winding. And, and what would happen is the, they, they, would, they would attach a rope to that rock, to that steady rock. They would be anchored to that. And the ship would use that and they would pull themselves through that dangerous terrain in order to get to the rock. You see, this life is the waterway. And for us, if we are not anchored to something other than ourself and our effort and, and our dream just in this earth, if we're not anchored to something other than that, that's outside of this timeline, that's outside of, of, of our ability, then it's basically what you see is what you get. And that's just the harsh reality of life, y'all. If we don't have hope outside of this life, then all that we have right here and right now is it. And so whenever we experience rejection, sure, we lose all hope. 
whenever injustice comes our way, sure we lose hope. Of course, it's the only natural response. Whenever we're abandoned, we lose hope that we're not gonna be abandoned again. And Jesus wants to heal and restore all of these things in us. But he doesn't wanna just heal us for this life. He doesn't just want you to, to heal and get the infection out of your relationships and your finances and all these things, although those are important. In order to truly dream again in your life, you've got to be anchored to a hope that has nothing to do with what's going on right here and now today that you can see, touch, and feel. It has to do with what's in eternity. I wanna give you an opportunity to be anchored to that hope today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If God's dealing with you right now, and this is you, this is you, you're having trouble dreaming and hoping again. And, and today, the, the, the disease has been diagnosed in your life. You see it so clearly right now. It's, it's so clear, it's right in front of you. God wants to do a great work in your life, but the first thing that he wants to do is heal your spirit. The Bible says that Jesus died on a cross for your sin and he was raised to new life so that you could be raised to new life. He took your punishment. He took your punishment. And the Bible says all you have to do is believe. Put your faith, put your belief in that truth and he will begin a process of transforming your life. You don't come to Jesus with a bunch of gifts and you don't come to Jesus with a bunch of, a bunch of good effort and good morality. You come to Jesus with nothing. Just like Joseph's brothers and some of you right now, you just need to imagine yourself just bowing before Jesus. Just God, I bring, you, I bring you all that I have, which is not very much. God, I offer it to you. Just say this, I give you my life. I give you everything that I am. Forgive me of my sin. I put my hope in you. You are my hope. The hope of resurrection life in this life and in the next is found in you, Jesus. I thank you for forgiving me, receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're not quite done with the service yet. Give us a couple more minutes before we leave. We wanna respond to what we've talked about today. We wanna respond. One way that you can respond, some of you, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, you said that prayer, you really meant it. It might've been the first time or the 10th time. We want you to simply take that card right there in the seat pocket in front of you and fill it out. Basic information, what took place today in your life and at the end of the service, we wanna invite you to bring that to the, back, to the back of the room in our next steps area. We've got someone who would love to receive that card and answer any questions you have. And the reason we do that is to come alongside you and help you in this journey. That's why, because you just started something. You just started a new journey with God, a fresh start. And I love it, the Bible talks about how when, when God creates a, a new creation out of us, like the old things pass away and all things are new. It's new. And so you don't have to live out of fear of yesterday when you're looking and thinking about tomorrow. You don't because Jesus has done a work and he's erased that. So we'd love for you to do that. But what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna sing part of a song together. And come on, out of response of the things that we've just read and heard and what God has done in our life, let's sing this out with confidence and faith, knowing that Jesus is our living hope. Amen? Come on.